Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Minds on Mental Health podcast. My name is Andy Dean. I'm a licensed clinical social worker, and today I'm once again talking to Dr. Kristen Pexy. Dr. Pexy is an attending psychiatrist at the Princeton Center for Eating Disorders at Princeton Medical Center. And today we talk about other mental health conditions that can oftentimes accompany eating disorders. So I hope you guys enjoy the podcast and find it helpful. So I could be wrong about this, but I'm assuming that there's oftentimes other things going on along with the eating disorder. So what are some other mental health issues or illnesses that could present along with anorexia, bulimia, etc.? Yeah, so it is very rare, at least for myself, and I've rarely seen a patient who only comes with an eating disorder. Mm -hmm. Um, There's often many layers and other comorbid disorders as well, and they help perpetuate the eating disorder moving forward. Um, The biggest one that we see is anxiety. I mean, you could have generalized anxiety, you can have panic disorder. And when that starts to interplay with the eating disorder, um, you really have to make sure that you're addressing both. Because if you don't help the anxiety, how can they overcome the eating disorder? And also another disorder we commonly see um, with the eating disorders is depression. And a lot of the symptoms of depression coincide with someone who's malnourished, low energy, feeling fatigued, having difficulty sleeping. Mm -hmm. Um, And if, you know, you don't treat the depression side of the symptoms as well as the eating disorder, there's no way that someone can gain motivation for recovery from both of these things. And I found myself being curious when you were talking about like panic attacks and anxiety and how oftentimes they go along with an eating disorder. Can you maybe give an example of like how you would see that kind of manifesting itself? Sure. You know, a lot of times people can have generalized anxiety disorder develop either before the eating disorder and Mm -hmm. after the eating disorder. Um, And it's not necessarily that they're always having anxiety solely around food and eating. They could have anxiety from multiple angles from their life, from school, from family, from their friends. Um, And they've been using the eating disorder to try to find a way to decrease the anxiety from other areas of their life. Mm -hmm. So if you have them start facing their fears with their eating disorder and that starts to get better, but you don't solve the other problems, their anxiety will increase in other areas. Right. And if that other anxiety is worse than what they had with their eating disorder, they really have low motivation to continue recovery. Yeah. So it almost sounds like the eating disorder can become like a coping skill to manage symptoms of anxiety. Yeah. And one, you know, really big example, especially that we're seeing these days is a lot of kids, um, you know, they're going back to school or having Mm -hmm. a lot of change in their school settings. Um, And, you know, there's a lot of bullying coming, you know, from returning to school or from social media outlets. Um, There's a lot of anxiety coming from uncertainty, you know, in the lives of children and changes going on at home that are so different from, you know, a couple years ago. And 
they are so desperately finding a way or something they can control that they believe Mm. will decrease their anxiety. So they try restricting and losing weight and they keep trying and sometimes it does help with the anxiety Mm -hmm. and we often see long term though it will ultimately result in making the anxiety worse yeah so i'm here we go here's the 10th time i'm going to do this to you (laughs) again it's almost like that substance use issue where it it seems like a coping skill that can help you either have more control have less anxiety um maybe help with your depression and and in the short term and i think this is a thing that makes people uncomfortable a lot of times they don't want to say but in the short term hey it can work as a coping skill but the problem is that it's not sustainable and then you become more and more reliant on it and it causes more and more problems yeah that's exactly right and when it does help someone's anxiety in the short term you know you have to really work with them to make them understand that it's not sustainable Mm -hmm. and you also have to work with them to discover other coping mechanisms that are healthier to replace the restricting right because if you don't give them an alternative you know all they see is a life filled with anxiety right okay so we talked about how depression and anxiety can kind of be underneath a lot of eating disorders or eating disorder symptoms are there any other mental health issues that you notice that kind of can tag along with that? So another disorder that we often see, um, even heavily more way to, toward our bulimia nervosa patients is PTSD. Um, it's not uncommon that a lot of our patients have been through a sexual trauma mm. in their past, and they often turn to the eating disorder as a way to shrink their body, um, not mm-hmm. to be seen to avoid gaining attention of others. Mm. They think if they can make themselves as small as possible or decrease their womanly features Mm. um, by making themselves smaller, that may somehow result in a way that they feel they wouldn't have to have another sexual trauma in their life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you really have to work with that person to overcome the, the PTSD and the symptoms that comes with that in order to have them have any motivation to want to have their body become more nourished. So really, it sounds like when we're talking about eating disorders, we're talking about a whole basket of other things that kind of can come along with that, right? So there's depression, there's anxiety, there's PTSD. And then there's, of course, the substance use that you... (laughs) Yeah, hey, look, I brought you over to the dark side. Now you're you're joining me in this, yes. Yeah, and, you know, it's not only the substance use, you know, the typical, the alcohol, the, Mm -hmm. you know, other drugs that you would think of and that falls under the substance use. It's also the diuretics, the laxatives, Mm -hmm. the diet pills that they use as well to help eliminate food from their body that can become very dangerous and addicting. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, of course, they can also have um, substance use with also alcohol and other drugs as well. And when you're trying to combat so many disorders on so many layers, it's really not easy for someone to do. Well, what you're saying is it's complex as many many things in the mental health field are are complex in terms of treatment. But I guess I'm wondering, like, maybe could you give a very basic roadmap in terms of 
what the steps are to address all this stuff. Yeah, I mean, the most basic roadmap you could really do is really start from the hierarchy of what's most dangerous, mm-hmm. you know, acutely to someone and work your way down. So obviously, if you find someone who's suffering from an eating disorder, you want to get them medically evaluated right mm-hmm. away. You want to make sure they're medically safe and stable to in a place where they can start to work on the other mental disorder layers on top. Mm-hmm. Um, once, you know, they're medically stable, it's time to really build a treatment team around a patient. Um, you know, that would typically consist of if it's a child, a pediatrician, if it's an adult, their primary care physician, you want to bring on a psychiatrist who not only knows eating disorders, but also can work with the depression, anxiety, PTSD, and substance use, as well as a therapist who can work on the mental health issues. Because ideally, You need to work on all the disorders at the same time and really try to improve them all. Because if you improve one and make the others worse, it's not really helping the patient long term or giving them the long term motivation for recovery and it will be sustainable. You also want to bring on a dietitian. The dietitian is a really important part of the team as well. They'll be able to help you not only monitor the meal plan when you might need an increase in your meal plan, when you might need a decrease, and what types of foods to be eating throughout your time in recovery. They'll also be able to help you with learning about your fears towards foods and helping you work through them and make sure that they can open up your variety that you've been eating as well. I think one thing that I heard you highlight, though, that maybe is different than some other mental health disorders, and not all, because again, for the hundredth time, substance use at times, people do need to become medically stable before they start working on whatever it is. Like Sometimes they need to be detoxed from certain Mm -hmm. substances. Um, But I think that is another thing that kind of links these two things is the, the number one most important thing is your physical safety and physical health. And you have to make sure that that's okay before you can really start to address the mental health symptoms here. So like, you know, someone who maybe is struggling with depression or anxiety, making sure they're medically stable might not always be sort of on the forefront of your mind if you're a treatment provider for them. Because generally speaking, people who are struggling with these things, many of them are probably okay physically. But with eating disorders, there's there's an extra layer in terms of what can happen to your physical health. So really, I think you're highlighting that making sure that the patient is medically stable has to be number one. Yeah, and it's going to be extremely difficult to have someone be able to focus and really work on the mental aspects of their mm, disorder yeah. if they're not physically capable of doing so. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So then... The second thing would really be having a team, so a psychiatrist, uh, a therapist, to provide that support and really start doing the work in terms of the mental illness and treating it. Yeah, and the more you can tackle it from all angles, the more support the patient will have to -hmm. make sure that they're moving along the process. And, you know, being in the hospital in an inpatient level of care, you know, we do have the luxury of having that full team available right right on cue so we can really attack all of these angles at once Mm -hmm. Um, but it will take a little bit of research outside of the hospital but you can also make your own team 
of the same individuals outside of here um, to help someone along the way. So I guess I'm thinking, you know, you said you can make your own team outside of the hospital. Obviously, you can, you know, start seeing a psychiatrist, start seeing a therapist. But where do kind of family members and friends and other supports fit into this? Yeah, I think, you know, the best thing that the family can do is first bring it to awareness Mm -hmm. um, and get the patient they team they need and then allow their team to guide the family in the best way that they can help. Um, A lot of times when children are involved, you know, the family is going to be the main source of help at home, feeding, you know, monitoring, and they really need guidance from professionals in what Mm -hmm. will hopefully work and what may not work so well. Um, And then adults that really, you know, who aren't living at home and don't have that, you know, support monitoring at home, it really is just the encouraging to get help um, and seek what they what they really need. So, and again, I, no pressure. I just asked you to, you know, treat everyone with an eating disorder in, you know, two minutes at the end of this podcast. But really the two most important things are making sure that the person is medically stable and then getting them the professionals that can treat the underlying eating disorder and what other whatever other mental health issues are going on underneath it. So the psychiatrist, the therapist, and then all the supports, the family members, friends, and, you know, outside support groups, etc. Yeah, exactly. It really is a team approach. Um, and really all aspects of their eating disorder and all mental illness needs to be addressed mm-hmm. for the best chance of recovery. Okay, so... If we want to talk about how someone could get started and sort of what a course of treatment would look like or a course of recovery would look like for someone with an eating disorder, it really sounds like number one would be making sure that you're medically stable. Number two would be developing a great team with a good psychiatrist and therapist. What would like the next step be? The next step would be to really make sure that you're addressing all the underlying mental health issues in addition to the eating disorder, Mm -hmm. Um, because if those aren't addressed, um, the eating disorder will unlikely fully resolve or recover. So this goes back to what we were talking about before in terms of like the underlying depression, underlying anxiety, trauma, and you're saying you want to make sure that you treat that at the same time as the eating disorder. Yes. Ideally, you would really want to work on everything at the same time. Um, A lot of times they play with each other. They intertwine with each other. As one is getting better, the other will get worse. Um, And if you don't find a way, whether it's through medication, through therapy, through alternative coping mechanisms to combat the anxiety or mood that may get worse as you improve the eating disorder, it is likely for someone to return back to their old behaviors. Sure. It makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I'm reminded about what you said just a couple of minutes ago, just in terms of like the anxiety and almost using it as a coping skill. Well, you can't just take the coping skill away and just leave a person with high anxiety and no way to cope with it. So it makes sense that you would have to treat both of them at exactly the same time. Exactly. Okay. So the third step is basically making sure that you're treating all underlying mental health issues as well as the eating disorder. Is there a fourth step or, or a final step? Yeah, the final step would be once you know the individual is able to reach a point of recovery to really maintain that. 
Um, just because you're recovered doesn't mean the team should fully disappear. Uh, maybe you see them less often than you were before when your disorder was so active. But you want to make sure you're maintaining contact with the team so that if you are to slide backwards or a relapse is starting, they're able to catch it quickly um, and make sure that they can help you right away. Mm -hmm. So what might like a typical maintenance program look like? It could be, you know, just seeing your psychiatrist, your primary care doctor once a month. It could be just seeing your therapist every two weeks, every four weeks. Mm -hmm. um, it would really be on an individual basis of how long you've been in the recovery state, how much other underlying illnesses each individual has that they're trying to maintain recovery in as well. Okay, so I think the maintenance piece is really going to depend on how long someone's been in recovery, when the last time they had a relapse is, etc. But basically, it sounds like you want to continue to have some contact with your team in order to make sure that you're still doing well, you're still doing what you need to do in order to support your recovery. Yes. All right, Dr. Pexley. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Andrew.